0: Hi there and welcome to the All For Who's podcast. Ah, Nice big relaxing sigh to get into the episode and truly focus our presence on this moment. Ah, Wherever we are, let's just remind ourselves that we are only ever this moment. take a nice big deep breath through the nose, let the belly rise and then sigh nice and relaxed out of the mouth. Mm. I always find this is a nice way to bring me back into the present when I'm doing a podcast, just kind of makes me feel more relaxed going into it, less urgent and more conscious in terms of the moment and and allowing the moment to to flow naturally. I think often if we come into a podcast just with a load of bullet points on a bit of paper and with that kind of energy that just wants to express a point I think it's a lot different to the energy of just pure presence and allowing the moment to unfold. Okay, I often find that there is magic in the moment and I know that sounds quite strange but if you just purely surrender to the moment, often you get reminded of things that you weren't even planning on seeing. It's almost like by by surrendering to the moment, you gain access to that subconscious mind of information you didn't even think you knew. And I've often found that quite rewarding and quite enlightening when I'm having a conversation with somebody and instead of me just being in my head, and thinking about what i want to say or thinking about some witty comment or, or or i'm not even half listening to what they're saying i'm just thinking about what i'm going to say back if i just forget all that and think like let's hold on i'm not competing here it's not about saying something that's witty or trying to impress them or make them laugh if i just purely just commit to that moment i find that the conversation goes 10 times better than i could have ever imagined because things are coming up that i didn't even realize i knew and and that's something that you know I've been doing when I've been in conversations with people and it's it's so rewarding it really is and it's much more um, relaxing and much more it's not as energetically as heavy because you don't feel as though you have to carry all this information in you you don't feel that kind of urgency to impress people and that big weight of that you've put on yourself as a heavy burden to try and show up in a funny way, you know, it's almost like you just surrender to the moment and ends up paying rewards. Um, But yes, anyway, slight tangent there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so today I want to talk about quite a few different things. Um, And yeah, I think it's going to be an enjoyable episode. So yeah, just come along for the ride. (laughs) So I remember when I was growing up, And whenever anyone would say to me, you know, are you religious or, you know, what God do you believe in or, or, you know, talking about religion, I would always say just without any kind of form of knowledge on it or anything kind of deeper than just what I felt, I would always say that being outside in nature is my church, yeah? Being up the mountains is my church and that's where I go to pay respect and God to me, I see God in, in everything. So I used to say, you know, the energy that I feel from being in a forest, the energy I feel from a river, um, from a mountain, that is God to me. I see that as God. And it was only in recent years that I learned a word that I hadn't been familiar with up until recently, and that word is animism. And animism is the belief that every inanimate object be it a water be it rock be it a plant be it a tree be it a mountain has some kind of aliveness to it has some kind of soul and it's essentially understanding and believing that the world is this alive connected ecosystem that is all connected and it's all sort of almost like there's a supernatural power that organises everything and connects it all together and, it's, and the world isn't like a dead object, it's a, it's a live pulsing anima, animate object and that is animism, now animism, there didn't used to be a word for animism because our indigenous ancestors just seen that as the way things were. And it's only in recent times we've come up with the word animism because in modern culture, often people live so far away from that approach that they have to create a word for it to kind of highlight that it's a way of seeing the world. And if you look on the timescale of our human evolution and you look back, say we look back 300,000 years into the Paleolithic times and the primitive states that we were in as humans at that time, there's a hell of a lot of evidence and a hell of a lot of time that's passed that our primitive ways seen the world in these in in the sense of animism treated the world as sacred treated the plants and the rocks and the animals and 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 the mountains as as sacred expressions of energy and it's only in the last seven thousand years or so it's a it's a small blip that that we've begun to see the world in a different lens. We've begun to treat the nature as separate. We've begun to see things as just inanimate objects that lack life. Since, you know, we're going back, like, looking at the industrial evolution and, and looking at technology, you know, all things that's happened in our lives that have been, you know, they've been good as well. Of course, I'm not dissing anything here, I'm just stating... You know, I'm just reflecting on time and reflecting on what's happened. And technology, absolutely amazing. Industrial evolution, absolutely amazing. But with those things have come a growth in terms of one way. But the way I see it, we're letting go of some of our primitive ways of seeing the world. I mean, the way I see it is we we couldn't hurt something in nature if we see that as us. You know, if we see that as part of us, part of the same pulsing energy that that comes through our own bodies is also in an animal, is also in a tree, is also in a river, is also in a mountain. And again, I, I'm not saying anything in this conversation that I know anything for a fact. You know, I, and I don't believe we probably ever will know that for a fact, but that doesn't mean to say we can't live our lives through a belief of of seeing things in this animism lens. Now I heard an interesting quote recently and it it kind of kind of encompasses what I'm trying to point here and it's it's basically this a society that treats a mountain or a forest as though it's a sacred object with a, li- with a certain amount of aliveness to it and a soul is a completely different society to one that sees a mountain or a forest as just a lump of rock or a patch of trees now again, we won- I'm not saying I know anything for a fact I'm just saying it's a different society that is birthed on thinking a mountain is something sacred or a mountain is just a lump of rock you, I suppose you can understand how a society that grows up thinking a mountain is just a lump of rock and a, and a forest is simply just a patch of trees, has that separation there? Has that almost that, like, what you could even say is going down a nihilistic path of what is the point? You know, I'm me and that's just a tree. I'm me and that's just a lump of rock. What the hell? You know, what, what's to say about that? But if, if we can experience the world through perhaps using a little bit of imagination or perhaps even just taking off that lens of separation we can see and experience the aliveness in a forest see and experience the air the energy you feel when you're surrounded in a like in a valley of mountains around you and feel that eeriness and that connectedness to nature and it it's something that you know I've got to thank my dad for because he really did kind of hammer this point home about the importance of being out in nature the importance of respecting the land the importance of you know like understanding that we are not separate to nature it's not humans and nature it's we are all nature and that's something I just grew up believing and 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 kind of experiencing you know I would go into a forest and I would just really feel that energy from a tree and really feel that connectedness coming from the weather change or or the subtle kind of change of a river um yeah and that's something that that i just genuinely believe has given me that deep-rooted respect for nature Um, and it's why i feel a lot of sadness when you know when I see things like a lot of sort of damage and, and a lot of like litter that gets left out in these beautiful lake district you know beautiful places in the lakes and and people just tend to not have respect for them but but again that's another story we're not we'll leave that for another day we'll shelve that <laughs> big breath ah. yeah so ah. science is slowly but surely getting on board in terms of understanding the importance and positive effects of nature. Forest bathing has now scientifically been proven to calm the mind. Sitting round a fire and gazing into uh, into like a, the movement of a flame of fire, the embers of fire, lowers blood pressure. It's been proven now that the indigenous diets that, that we would have as indigenous sort of... Uh, primitive humans of whole foods are are the best diets to follow walking barefoot has numerous effects on the brain in a positive way these sort of learning as a child and also as an adult in in these outdoor sort of environments where we have tactile contact to the outdoors has been proven to be a, a really valuable way to learn to the point where schools now they have forest schools and, and this is all lending itself to what we call the Gaia hypothesis, which is that everything has value outside, all of nature is connected, a valuable ecosystem that is, is feeding off each other in a cyclical way, be it the, the mycelium underneath, you know, the, where the mushrooms come from, the mycelium network that is sort of reclaiming the land and then feeding the next piece of, um, you know, the next piece of soil births new life, and it's just this beautiful rhythmic flow of life, and it's, I love it, and I'm really passionate about kind of creating this awareness of this, this higher connection between us all, and it's something that I believe if we if we really tap into that and we, we step into it and understand it, I believe society would be a lot less, you know, a lot less instances of depression, a lot less instances of feeling separate and feeling lonely, a lot less instances of them, people feeling like sort of nihilistic and what's the point. Because if you can feel connected to a forest when you're sat by a river and you're hearing that, babbling brook or you sat in a ma- next to a mountaintop you can never feel alone you just can't like you can be alone but you can't feel alone you can't feel lonely because you, you're never really alone you're sharing the presence of yourself which is nature and it's something that's helped me out of a lot of um you know a lot of moments in my past when i was i was really anxious and you know, I ended up spiraling, and I got depressed, and I got quite low, and and nature being out in, outside, and, and just going out in the fells, and that's what just brought me that awareness of, wow, you know, this is what it means to be alive, this this connectivity to, to everything around me, and it doesn't matter if I feel lonely, or it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, at the time, I was feeling kind of as though I would never meet a partner, or because, you know, I just went through a series of failed relationships, for want of a better phrase, and it was always nature that gave me that ability to source love from nature, and source love from within myself, (sighs) okay, so, trees positively affect our blood pressure, We give trees what they need, which is carbon dioxide. They give us what we need, which is oxygen. It's a symbiotic relationship between us and a tree. The scent of a tree boosts our immune system and lowers our heart rate. The willow tree, when we stand underneath it or hug a willow tree, feeling that energy of a willow can clear a tension headache because it actually derives from the same ingredient as an aspirin, and that's a willow tree from experiencing the consciousness of a willow tree can lift a headache now come on let's look at that for a moment how beautiful is that if that's not a reminder that we are nature and nature is us like yeah it's just powerful and it you know science is slowly but surely getting on board with understanding that nature is so so powerful I I love that quote that says, science is the younger brother of mysticism. Science is struggling up the mountain to prove a point that nature already knows. And that's why I love to think of these things as, you know, we don't need to wait for the evidence. We don't need to wait for the facts. These things we know innately all along. It's like I said to you early on, I've grew up experiencing immersing in nature because thanks to my dad and my parents taking me out outside and realizing that it's it's not just a day in nature it's not just a day being took up a fell for to fill some time it's something deeper than that and it's i've always felt it and it's something that's i've seen as the mountains being sacred and when i go in the cold water it's not just a dip in the cold water and feel the dopamine heat and then tick a box to say i've done my hard task for the day it's to connect to the consciousness of the water, you know, there's evidence coming out all the time about water has its own emotional profile, if you shout and you're expressing anger to water and then you freeze it overnight and the the shapes in the water replicates that energy of anger, whether if you sing with joy to water and you freeze it overnight, This is called crystallography, which is all, this is facts and proven, you know, by science again, Um, you know, and it's even got to the point where we're having to, you know, clarify what's being backed up by science, but you sing to water, joyfully, freeze it, and look at it the next day, it it expresses the emotional profile of joy, yeah, and it's, it just shows that there is more to these so-called inanimate objects than what we think, and as I say, science is coming on board slowly but surely but again I love I heard, I think it was Jordan Peterson that says, we don't need to know these facts, yeah I don't know for a fact that God exists, but I live as though God exists, yeah, I live my life with morals and integrity as though there is a God watching me even though, I don't know for a fact there is, I don't know for a fact there's, you know There is a god. People have different versions of gods. Look at the Vikings; they have their Thor. They have, you know, Loki. They've got Freya, the goddess. Look at the uh, the Greeks; they had um, Zeus. They had Hades, Poseidon, and every culture and every um, you know period of time have expressed gods through different lenses and through different archetypes and some people see god as a you know a man with a gray beard in the sky and i you know i see the higher power as as everything connected as, as nature and and recognize that i am nature and there's a there's a higher power connecting us all in this rhythmic sort of flow of you know cyclical movement and energy i mean look at the moon yeah if anyone who can just look at the moon and think it's just a a rock in the sky like come on it, it dictates the tides it dictates bodies of water and, and we are 70% water so therefore surely it dictates us, you know, in a certain extent. Does it do you feel slightly more emotional or does it change how you feel on a full moon? It dictates how crops are growing. It's the it pulses that energy of aliveness. It dictates the nocturnal animals and how they come out and, and look for their foods. You know, the calendars have been dictated by the moon cycles. It's just, yeah, I could speak for hours about that, just that magic. And I think that's what magic means to me. It's that, that beautiful mystery that connects us all. Live as if God exists, even if you don't know for a fact he does. <laughs> I love that the inuits the the Eskimos would talk for hours to the whales, yeah and and science used to like criticize them and say, "Oh you know these crazy people who talk to animals they 're now realizing that these inuits these these Eskimos have such an innate understanding of of whales and their behaviors that the science uh, scientists are now asking for in depth analysis of of understanding whales and And realising that spending time with these animals and talking to them and treating them like they have a soul with pure love has helped them understand their behaviours. And and it just shows that by stepping into that woo-woo, speaking to an animal, spending time with it, and not just seeing it as a blob or an object, like it pays off and, and it's just that slow, patient love. Walk at the speed of love and you'll be paid back with magic. It's like the indigenous elders, they would speak to animals, and, you know, to a certain extent, our modern culture will criticise that and say, oh, you know, look at them, like, speaking to the animals and and cherishing them in that way, but, you know, these things, it's almost like, the traditions and values and rituals of the past are are answers to the questions and problems of which we've forgotten and if we remove those rituals, we remove those practices of the ancients and the indigenous we will surely be reminded of of those problems because we're removing the, the remedies that were placed and you know, if you think about that, let, let's think about that, so if we just, like, banish something that was an ancient ritual, like, that was put in place for a reason, these indigenous cultures have, have, have thought that these rituals and these practices were important for one reason or another, and if we come along with a modern lens and just think, oh, you know, we'll stop dancing around a fire, mm, just a load of crap anyway, we don't need that, we need to go to work and fill in spreadsheets now, like, that's fine. I understand the point that we, we live in a modern world. We have modern jobs. But removing of these rituals and removing of these practices, we need to analyse them properly and think about what might have been lost. What might have been lost if we don't dance around a fire now and look into the the beautiful flow of the embers or express and chant in groups and sing and dance and speak to animals and hug trees and, and jump in rivers and feel alive with the beautiful expression of water running over your skin and sit next to a mountain and look up at it and talk to it like it's a beautiful expression of energy that is beyond ourselves. What is lost if we live life like we see mountain, like a, just a lump of rock, a dead piece of rock or a river is just nothing but water that means nothing to us other than a tap water. Yeah? I personally think that we lose out if we don't tap in to the magic that is available to us I just think that there's value in stories as well, I think there's value in sitting around a fire reading stories together again, imagination talking about the, the mythical Greek gods, the stories how the seasons came You know, I, f- I found out recently by studying um, courtesy of Nell my girlfriend, she told me about Greek mythology and, and how just it's nice to get an understanding of that and I'll share one of the stories it was so there was a Greek um, goddess of nature and the harvest called Demeter and Demeter had a daughter called Persephone and Persephone was out on the on the field and she was just dancing around in nature just being peaceful and, and relaxed and Hades who was the god of the underworld was, um, was flying over and he happened to see Persephone and he thought she was beautiful so he decided to kidnap Persephone and take her back to the underworld and Persephone's mother Demeter was so upset she was mourning the loss of her daughter so she spent six months crying, she spent six months just really upset and deeply grieving her daughter because she'd lost her and it got to the point where the crops and the Plants and that everything was dying because of the, the pure grief that was filled with the land, and at this time Zeus came along, who was the the chief god at the time, came along and he said to Hades, he said, "Listen, you're going to have to give this Persephone back to her mother, because all of the crops are dying, all of the foods dying out, and and everyone's going to die if you don't give her back because she's mourning and she's crying and she's really upset." So Hades decided to make a deal he says okay then persephone you can go back to your mother and you can live back on earth with your mother for six months of the year and then you come back down here with me for six months of the year so persephone decided okay then fair enough it's better than being here forever i'll, I'll go back to the to live on earth with my mother so she went back and the crops and the, the flowers and the life and the the, the plants and and the, everything was growing back again because the mother was happy and she was joyous and that is the story of how the season started and it's just through a greek mythical lens and again you know fun just creative imagination but like i'm not saying again you know i don't even have to say this but it's just daft like i'm not saying that's a fact of course i'm not but i'm saying that that changes something in me innately that when i experience autumn And I experienced the liveness of spring. Like I'm reminded of the story of Demeter and her daughter and Hades. And it kind of makes me, it changes something inside me. It gives me like a, some kind of love and some kind of respect. And, you know, when we tap into the, the cyclical wheel of the year and we look at Letha or we look at Samhain or we look at Mabon. And we see how, you know, some of the pagan cultures would would have these rituals to pay respect for, you know, when when the dark nights are coming in, or welcoming back the lighter nights, and just these beautiful practices shared in togetherness, it gives you a love for everything, and, you know, I suppose the reason I'm beating this drum so hard is... (laughs) again we won't get onto drums but drums were really sacred and important um to get us into these nice calm states again we lose drums we lose something else man <laughs> so yeah tangent but what i'm saying is that lost my train of thought now what i'm saying is like if we lose these things we're losing a lot more than what we think and i suppose it's just about really paying respect for for these cycles of nature, for the way the some of the indigenous cultures seen the world and, and experienced the lens of how they lived. And I just think, I, I suppose the reason, yeah, which i get back on track now, the reason I'm banging this drum is because I believe that by seeing the world this way and seeing that we aren't separate to a mountain, to a tree, to a forest, to to a, to a river is to also show patience and humility for that aliveness in everyone else. It's to also show that, you know, we can be calmer and we can be peaceful and we don't have to look for competing with each other or to bring other people down or to hurt another person. You know, we can can have that peaceful presence within and know that we're all connected and know that just because some idea of a line has said that you're this country and i'm that country doesn't mean that we're any different you know we all have a soul and a spirit and we all we all have love flowing through us and that's what keeps us all connected um you know so i suppose i believe animism seeing the world as all connected and seeing everything as sacred is a healthier way of experiencing reality because it makes us more loving to each other, so yeah, hmm. suppose that's where I'm going with this, <sighs> if anyone's interested as well, <laughs> there's another really good story about Achilles, which I read recently, and again, it was just through my curiosity of the land, of starting to get into a little bit of foraging, so me and my partner Nell were going for a little walk, we noticed these little sort of these little herbs, these little plants growing up, and they had really feathery leaves, really beautiful intertwined kind of feathery leaves and, and like a like a white and yellow floral top. And they look beautiful. And we've seen them all around the lakes as we were walking around. And, and we recently found out that they were called Yarrow. And just through a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of digging, we, we realised that the story of Achilles um, was actually quite profound when it comes to yarrow and this this is just yarrow that is growing in our you know in our lakes and all around the fields and the story of achilles is during the trojan war he was dipped into a to a river by his held by his ankle and he was dipped in there and in the river was abundant with this plant called yarrow which is the one we're talking about And the witch that dipped him in the the river said that this yarrow will will give him immortality, it will give him boost his immune system and boost his energy for the war. And he was to go out there and he would win the war and you know, he would compete and everything like this because he had this supercharged energy from the yarrow plant. Anyway, those who are familiar with the story of Achilles, he ended up getting an arrow shot into his Achilles of which was held when he was dipped into the to the river. So that was the one part of his body that didn't have the plant. So he died, and that's where we get the term Achilles' heel. So, yeah, again, just a, a beautiful story of understanding a little bit of curiosity with a plant. And the story behind that was from, from Achilles and, and the Greek mythology. And, you know, that caused me to look into Yarrow. I've seen all the benefits of Yarrow and how it's so minerally dense in terms of what we need as humans and it's literally just growing on our you know in our land and through having a little bit of curiosity with foraging and and learning what grows at certain times of year again it just gives you that abundance of love and not needing anything else other than a connection to nature and you know again it's it's something that i've really been getting into recently is is that foraging and understanding that like connection to the land and and you know making nettle tea or looking at the dandelions and and making tea from that and and seeing that this is just all these are all gifts from us from nature to us you know like things that we need you know like you our uh you know we want a diuretic to help our kidneys we've got dandelion you know we've got nettle tea that's got so many immune boosting um benefits and you know these are all available if we just open up that curiosity to what is around us and what is not separate to us and you know again like we look and we see like a tree and we can see a, the universal tree and we're just like oh that's just a tree that no let's look you know what is that an oak tree is that a beech tree is that an elder and we look at the branch of the elder and how haggard it looks and how you know it personifies a haggard witch and these creativity and this imagination we can put into things when we learn a little bit about what we're looking at in a forest you know we can learn what grows under an elder we can see what when an, an oak tree is likely to whereabouts in the forest an oak tree is likely to be compared to a conifer. And I just think that this gives you such a sense of love for everything that we see when we don't want to walk, and suddenly a walk with your dog in a park becomes fun, it becomes playful, it becomes creative, it becomes imaginative, and almost every day becomes a little bit of a game you can play, you know, whether you've got children and you can teach them the names of the trees and what fruit they grow and what we can get from them, and you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's beautiful, man, it really is, like, the fractals of a beech tree, when we look up in a forest, and we've seen the fractals of the leaves above, you know, in the skyline, like, they don't touch each other, they have a little thing called, what we call crowd, crowd shyness, where none of the branches or leaves will touch each other, and it's just this beautiful thing to look at visually, but coincidentally that looking at fractals in the sky also puts us into an alpha brain state which keeps us calm makes us feel safe and you know we can't possibly be stressed when we're in an alpha brain state and this all comes from learning a little bit more about trees about the forest and you know we look at the oak tree and we see that it's it's got five miles of roots that are deeply underneath it connecting it to all sorts of mycelium networks, which is gathering nutrients and it's feeding information to other surrounding trees. You know, look at a tree, if a tree senses it's got a disease, it will give off a scent. That scent will be picked up by other trees so they know to defend itself against the threat. (laughs) Like, what the hell, man? This is beautiful. It's beautiful and it shows that it is not just an enamel object, it is an expression of life. And if anything, it's it's got the same equal amount of vibrancy and, and soul and consciousness as it, that we have. And, you know, gone are the days now, well gone are the days where people, you know, in my mind anyway, should criticise these tree huggers or criticise people who really do see the liveness of nature. You know, we, I used to see on movies growing up, like the, the person who would be the tree hugger would be like banished and just like, oh, it's just a tree hugger him. Like, no, tree hugging is beautiful, and and trees have a vibrancy in our life that can help ourselves and our immune system. So, yeah, man, just putting this on people's radar, like, learn about the trees, learn about the animals, learn about the birds you're likely to hear, and just feel that connection to everything. Um, And, yeah, it'll just make you want to tell stories, it'll feed that imagination, it'll feed that creativity, suddenly you'll be like, wow, I didn't even realise I was creative, and, and suddenly now I'm feeling more curious, you know, like, whether that's, like, looking at stories to tell your children, to tell your your partner, Um, I mean, I, I've been reading books on, like, foraging, and there's a book by um, Tristan Gooley called How to Read a Tree, and it's just fucking mind-blowing, man, it's like talking about a tree, and you know the things we can learn from it, like how the tree behaves in certain seasons, how it behaves when there's wind blowing on it, the branches, and yeah, trees are amazing and they are so worth learning about. Um, for nothing else other than just getting it out of your own head and realizing that trees are fucking magical. <laughs> um, but yeah, wait, let's take a breath. <laughs> wait, let's take a breath. And um, see if anything else is coming up. (sighs) Yeah, I just love that quote that I said earlier. It's, science is the younger brother of mysticism. It's struggling up the mountain to prove the point that nature already knows. And I think it was Einstein as well. I think Einstein, I got a good quote from Einstein earlier. And it's, the most beautiful thing that we can experience in life is the mystical because it's the source of all of science and all of art, and that's the mystical. The mystical is that not needing to know, that curiosity, that surrender into the mystery. Hmm. I remember Eckhart Tolle as well. You know, this is something I was going to mention. Like Eckhart Tolle said, if we relax in nature, whether we're in a forest or by a river. And we just be silent for two minutes. You'll be guaranteed for something magic to happen. And that's something that me and Nell do all the time. And it honestly, it's so surprising how it, it just works. Like, you sat there in nature in complete silence. And within two minutes, something magical will happen. And when I say magical, you know, like a little deer will come up and start sipping out of the river, a little bird, a little robin will come up or a butterfly will come and land right next to you there'll be something gifted to you if you just surrender to two minutes of silence in nature and that was something Eckhart Tolle said in in the power of now and I I just it always stuck to me because I felt that through my whole fiber of my being that yeah there is magic to be experienced if we just surrender to the moment (sighs) there was another one as well and um think it was gordon jordan peterson gordon peterson (laughs) i think it was jordan peterson that said i wouldn't trust a god that revealed itself with evidence and that like just kind of kind of halts that egotistical drive to try and prove everything you know like sometimes it's worth not knowing you know like it's like some people will take psychedelics and some people will you know want to go on some retreat to take ayahuasca and and get that kind of you know like see things through a different lens where you realize everything's connected or whatever you see or whatever you experience but to me i've always been that kind of seeing that like i don't need to know you know i don't need to take some psychedelic or experience this to to really feel and have that faith in knowing that we're connected to the trees you know or know that there's no separation between the, the the energy that flows through me or the energy that flows through a mountain. Like I don't need to know that. I don't need to take something that's going to let me see that, you know, any better than what I already feel it now. And I think for me, that's what faith means. You know, having faith in something that you don't know the facts of, but yet you you're still prepared to believe it deeply and live life according to that. And to me, faith is is a very important thing. You know, to to surrender to that belief and not need anything else. You know, not need the facts. You know, I don't need somebody to come along and say, "Oh no, this has been proven now; it's a fact." But that that would almost take a bit of the take a bit of the mystery away for me. Um, so I suppose that's what maybe Einstein was saying there. Like the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mystical. <sighs> yeah. Anyway blabbing on about all sorts today, I hope you've got kind of the the general expression that I was trying to put across, um, but yeah, again, it's, it's literally just to say that by seeing the world through this lens of animism, that we are all connected, like, to me, it will make us more peaceful, it will make us more loving, more patient, and more understanding to each other, and surely that's a better world to be a part of. I'll leave you with that. Thank you for listening. Much love. Speak soon.